0: So, I'm Stephen. I'm really good at techie stuff, as you can see. (laughs) But I really want to welcome you this morning, particularly if this is your first time here at Ebby Church. We're a lovely family, I think. And we've been in a series about recapturing wonder, recapturing the wonder of Jesus. I think there are many reasons why we should be passionate about Jesus. And and we've been looking at some of those. But um, for me, one of the reasons why I love Jesus is that I think there is no better way to do life. In contrast, our world is moving away from the story of Jesus and living different kind of stories. And by story, I don't mean um, Peppa Pig or the Wombles. I mean how to... uh, By stories, I mean how do we make sense of life? How do we do life? Uh, What our world view is? Um, And um, four years ago, I, I gave a very brief talk at my parents' 60th wedding anniversary. It was a lovely occasion for family and friends. And I commented about how my parents' Christian values of forgiveness and committed love to others had helped keep them together and the family together. And the result was this huge, happy family gathering um, with four children and their spouses, uh, 16 grandchildren, 15 great-grandchildren and counting. And, and, of course, nothing... We're not all perfect in my family, absolutely not. But it was a great occasion. And it occurred to me that such 60th wedding anniversaries will be a rarity in my generation and even more so in the following generation. This was brought home to me. At that very time, a work colleague was going to get married abroad with just two friends there because both of their families... the man and his fiancée, were so broken, they just could not imagine having a good occasion with all their friends and family together. And I thought so, so sad. And sadly, tragically, that couple are now broken relationship as well. I'm not judging these people. I don't know that I would do any better if I was in their shoes. Please do not think that. I'm just making the point that our world is getting more and more broken. How do we make sense of life? What story are we living in today? What will work out well in reality? The story of our culture is everywhere and even in our hearts to some degree. That it's about looking after number one. It's about just enjoying the moment. It's about just being happy. Yet... The outworking of that particular strong view is leading to greater and greater brokenness. We need a different way to do life. The claim of Jesus, contrast, is that he brings life and life in abundance. And I think that one of the great things about Jesus is he starts from where we are in our brokenness. If you feel you're in that kind of broken place, particularly because of marriage or whatever it is, Jesus starts there with us and he's good at it and he can bring healing in a way that nobody else can bring. And for me, that's one of the reasons why I love Jesus is that there is no better story of how to do life than that. Not that I've always followed Jesus that well and I'm not without my own brokenness. But as I followed Jesus... My personal experience for 40 years, I got married there 37 years ago, right? I was conscious of it as I stood there, right? By Adrian at the back of the church today, right? God has been faithful. It has been a place of incredible peace following Jesus, strength through some hard times, a sense of purpose and incredible hope I cannot imagine a better story to live in than Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When I say that to people, they often say that's nice for you. Um, You do you, I do me. You do your truth and I do my truth. And it's good to respect other people's views of stuff, isn't it? But my problem is, that not all stories of how to do life work out well because they're not true and they won't really match reality truth is really about reality okay and i think i think the story of jesus is the real deal it's the true reality as we look as we will today at luke's record in acts 26 about the apostle paul and his transformation on the damascus road Paul would say Jesus is alive. Jesus is true and reasonable. And my point today, my message today is Jesus transforms lives. And I've got three points, okay? First of all, that it is a true story. Secondly, that he meets our real needs. And thirdly, I'm going to do a, very, very briefly um, living out his reality. How do we transform our lives? So, the background. Paul the apostle is on trial in about AD 58 and is defending his faith in Jesus before the Roman governor and the Jewish king Agrippa. So let's read from Acts chapter 26 and verse 4. The Jewish people know all the the Jewish people all know the way that I've lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my country and also in Jerusalem. They know me and for a long time and can testify if they're willing that I conform to the strictest sect of religion living as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial here today. This is the promise our 12 tribes tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly seek god day and night king agrippa it is because of this hope that these jews are accusing me why should any of you consider it incredible that god raises the dead hopefully you can see that hope is a big message in this reading on verse 9 On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me with my companions. We all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, "'Who are you, Lord?' "'I am Jesus, who you are persecuting,' the Lord replied. "'Now get up, stand on your feet. "'I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant "'and as a witness to what you have seen and will see of me. "'I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. "'I am sending you to them to open their eyes, "'turn them from darkness to light, "'and from the power of Satan to God.'" so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So my first point, Jesus transforms. It's a true story. Jesus' life, death and resurrection. For many reasons in this, we we could talk about why it's true that jesus rose from the dead but i just want to focus a little bit on paul today okay um i listened to an amazing talk this week from greg boyd b-o-y-d from woodland hills church where he talks about six reasons uh, why we can believe in the resurrection fantastic talk if that's something that matters to you um I haven't included any of this today. I'm not going to give you his six points, but I just want to tell you something about Paul. What transformed Paul? That's my question. From the violent persecutor of Christians to a fearless, unstoppable follower of Jesus. It seems to me the evidence is strong that Paul had an encounter with Jesus on the Damascus rose. And just briefly, if this is is not your bag... I'm just going to give a brief kind of argument for why this is true. So firstly, I think it's reasonable to assume the general outline of Paul's life, that he started off persecuting Christians and then later followed Jesus despite persecution. Uh, Why do I think that? Well, for example, the writer Luke, the writer of Acts, is... Of acts of possible is a highly rated historian lots of other reasons too but the general outline of his life so what really transformed paul we only have three options either he was a deceiver he made up this light on the damascus road and all that sort of stuff right or he was himself was deceived he misunderstood what was going on or actually it really really did happen So let's just have a look at those things. Paul was a deceiver making up his conversion. Well, kind of what did he gain from that? (laughs) A lot of persecution, to be sure. Um, If he made it up, why not go back to making tents when it got a bit tricky? You know, Paul's persecution was phenomenal that people put on him. Just reading a little bit from 2 Corinthians. I have worked harder, been imprisoned more frequently. I have been flogged severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. That's just a bit of it, by the way. From 2 Corinthians 11, I think it is. Um, I don't know about you, but after the first flogging, I probably would have run away and just made some tents somewhere. But Paul continues. Why? I don't think he was a deceiver. Secondly, was he himself deceived on the road to Damascus? And when we can look at his his story, it seems a bit odd. He he says that some of his companions um, uh, also saw something. And um, so there was, those people had seen something, they'd heard something, so did he make that up as well? Um, But even if you put aside that for a moment, if you look at his general life, I think Paul had plenty of opportunity to consider whether it was really true that he'd met Jesus then and at other times. We know from Paul's writing that he's an incredibly educated person, highly educated, intelligent man. We also know that he was in Jerusalem in and around the time of death of Jesus and his resurrection at AD 30. Some have said he may even been in Jerusalem when Jesus was alive. We know that he was educated in Jerusalem around about that time and he was at the death of Stephen, the first martyr, in around about AD 35. Paul was in and around that. He talked to the apostles, the disciples. He had all that information. He would have met some of the eyewitnesses that had been healed and changed by Jesus. He had lots of opportunity to find out. And of course... You know, in a dark moment in one of his prisons, he would have had plenty of opportunity to think, well, was it really true? And yet we hear him here in AD 58, as we continue as he talks to Festus, the governor, reading, continuing our reading, he says this. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defence. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. For Paul, the resurrection of Jesus was true and reasonable, And wasn't done in a corner. He actually appeals to King Agrippa and the governor to say, You knew something about this. This isn't fabricated. Was Paul the deceiver? I think that's absolutely no. Was Paul deceived? I don't think it's very likely. So I come to the conclusion on this alone that Paul's transformation was because he actually met Jesus on the road to Damascus and at various other times. I found it very difficult to believe otherwise. And yet this is just one of many reasons why we might believe in Jesus. Another wonderful interesting example is Jesus's brother James that he was transformed from believing in the gospels that they say that he that James and the and his family said that Jesus was mad. And yet later on we find that James was one of the leaders of the church and even died for believing in Jesus. Why did he change? 1 Corinthians 15 says that he met the risen Jesus. I think that the the evidence is really very strong um, and and makes, makes convince me that this is the true story of life and makes real sense. And I argued earlier that truth is about reality. And sadly, we saw earlier that living the story of our culture, that it's just about me and my needs, and is just creating more and more brokenness in our society. We need a different story. I think we need the Jesus story. Jesus transforms lives because his story is really, really true. So, my second point is that Jesus meets our real needs. Now, we're going to have a video in a minute, if we can, from Scott Harrison of how Jesus meets our real
1: needs. There he is. I grew up as an only child. Um, I was the good church kid. At 18, like so many bad cliches, I rebel. Uh, became uh, a nightclub promoter. And over the next 10 years, from uh, about 18 to 28, really climbed up New York's social ladder. At 28, uh, I had gotten many of the things that I thought I wanted. Uh, My girlfriend was on the cover of magazines, I had a Beamer, uh, I had a Rolex, I had a Labrador Retriever, I had a grand piano in my apartment in New York, and I was so unhappy. Something awakened in me, something... It was a realization maybe that I would would never find happiness where I was looking for it. There would never be enough girls, there would never be enough drugs, there would never be enough parties. I guess it was a fresh look, being able to take a look at Faith again with fresh eyes and I became so compelled by uh, a Jesus who went around serving the poor, who went around looking after others and and lived a life of integrity. You know, This is verse uh, in James that I came across that said, true religion is to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. So I was 0 for 2. Uh, Not only had I done nothing for the poor in a decade, I literally polluted people for a living. I made this radical uh radical life move. I wound up selling all of my possessions. I joined this humanitarian mission, a group of medical doctors, volunteering in West Africa, operating on a huge hospital ship, and I become their photojournalist. I saw a lot of stuff uh, over those two years, and I think the thing that struck me the most was people drinking dirty water. Half of the country didn't even have their most basic need for health met. Half the country didn't have clean water to drink. And when I landed back in New York, I was 30, and this was the issue that I felt so compelled to work on. And Charity Water was definitely birthed out of my faith experience of, of me returning back to Christ, to um, to God again. And it, you know, I believe that the idea of Charity Water is very close to God's heart. I believe the idea of a world where every single person drinks clean water is is so fluid, is so in line with the heart of, of God, the heart of the Father. Uh, and, and it's an amazing thing to be able to do with, with my work. Over the last nine years, we've raised almost $200 million. Uh, we've helped over uh, 5.5 million people around the world get access to clean water. So we've made a little bit of a dent. Uh, and, and most importantly, the number of people without water has come down from a billion to 660 million. You know, If I look back on it, I think this idea of really trying to serve God through my work um, you know, has changed everything in my life. But I think you, know, you can do that wherever you are, whether you're a banker, whether you're a florist. Um, you can bring you know, the, the kingdom values that you believe in into your work, into the way that you, you serve your customers, into the way that you lead uh, your team members, uh, into the way that you, um, you support others. kind of modern day Muller
0: isn't he in many ways of course that video probably was 2017 or something and I think they're still very much involved in that so what is the story that transforms us you know we're thinking about Jesus transforms us his story is true um, I'm gonna argue I'm trying to argue that he meets our deepest real needs um, and um So what is that story that transforms? us? Well, when Jesus speaks to Paul on the road to Damascus, he gives a very little synopsis, which I'm not entirely going to unpack, but um, it's this. He says, I'm sending you to them, that's to the Gentiles, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness into light, from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Forgiveness of sins and that sense, that new place, that new belonging with God. Right, he meets our real needs. three things really, really quickly. Um, We need love, yeah? We need purpose. We need hope. So love, forgiveness of sins is a kind of, shorthand in the bible for a restored relationship with god it's not just dealing with sin but actually bringing us into something that is life-giving and transforming god loves us to bits and wants us to be with him we sadly um, all have this sense of brokenness don't we let's think of a little bit how does god deal with um uh sin it's about the cross Jesus died upon the cross it's a symbol that he says I have forgiven you in history that we might truly know but I think the cross is also a symbol of God's welcome is his welcome that that he wants to bring us into a relationship with him we all have this sense of brokenness we've all done things wrong we've all sinned in other words but we also have this sense of shame that we're broken defective unlovable people if you like and what do i do well in my moments of shame yes i'm still broken i often think about psalm 34 which says that those that look to the lord are radiant they are never covered with shame I've just been thinking a bit about this meditating on this why are they radiant i expressing joy or sadness yeah can't do this mm. anyway so why are they radiant they're radiant i think because they're looking to the lord and when we truly look to what god is like and god is like jesus we see that jesus is looking back to us with passionate love towards us he is radiant and full of glory and love and as we see that we can begin to see that we are truly loved and valued we are not worthless and he accepts us and welcomes us and he has shown that to us that when we become a christian wonderfully he puts his holy spirit actually in us so much does god want to be with us And a relationship with us that he puts his spirit in us. The answer to our brokenness and shame is to know love. God is love. And it is as we begin to dwell and focus on that, that love begins to transform us. Our very own Steve Tucker, who's here to mourn this morning with his Aston Villa shirt, very proudly, has experienced God's love. So I want to just show a little bit of his, little bit of his story too.
2: I ended up as a sort of a drifter in life. Um, I've had several jobs. Um, I joined the army and... Um, I ended up, um, I got married and divorced. I lost everything, I lost um, my lo- uh, my job, my house, my car and um, pretty much my soul really and ended up um, as a drug addict living on the street and um, strangely enough this is when I found Jesus. I started reading the New Testament that somebody had given me and um, I read it all the way through uh, and it made pre- it made sense to me it made absolute sense I I read it and uh, thought yeah that's 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 my God and uh, um, I had a moment of clarity I was sitting on the street I was weighing nine stone wet through um, I had a, a needle full of Gear and cracks sticking out my arm um, and a crack pipe in my mouth and I had a moment where I just thought I need God's help and I prayed earnestly for God's help and God intervened in my life I asked him for a way out of where I was and, and a way back to the light and and God gave me that way in the strangest way possible because I got pneumonia and <laughs> I would have never have thought of getting pneumonia but literally within a week I'd caught pneumonia and that enabled me to get to hospital and access services and I got into recovery and the God I prayed to was how I always describe it as Jesus' dad God.
0: Okay that's a very short bit from Steve's baptism video in 2016 um, but Steve's favourite verse, I'm right in saying, is that God is love. And um, that is very transformational. We need love. So, love. Purpose. Living just for ourselves, as Scott Harrison suggested in the video, does not satisfy and actually can be very, very destructive. Living life for others, or even for God, can feel like duty it can feel like cold religion it can feel really boring and hard many of us live between living for ourselves and living for others but I want to suggest to you that living with God is transformational that living with God, that he is with us in our problems and struggles, that he is there to help us. This is on a completely different level and plane. It gives a joy in life and a purpose, even when life sucks. There is a purpose to life. And what we're actually doing for God has real, not Real value, not just for this life, but the life to come. I think there's a purpose in God that is way beyond anything else. How do we do life? How do we love life? It's not about just doing things for God, but doing things with God. That is transformational. So, love purpose, hope. Human beings, we are people who need hope to exist. We need, uh, actually hope keeps us going, doesn't it? We hope for happier days. We hope to get well. We hope to find love. Derek talked a lot about this last week. Um, yet these are all wishes, not certainties. The Christian hope is a certainty. The Christian hope is a far better hope than anything else because it's based on the truth and reality of Jesus. We have hope in life. As I'm looking after an aged father, as I've done quite a bit this week, I can have hope because I know that he has faith in Jesus. It's not wishful thinking, but an expectation of coming good based on the promises and character of God. Jesus transforms lives because of his true story and because he needs, meets our real needs of love, purpose, and hope. My third point, very briefly, um, how are we transformed? We need to live in Jesus's reality. In some ways, that's the hard bit. <laughs> um, And this is a big subject. You know, a year ago, we did a series on how do we become like Jesus. And I could talk for a very long time about it, but I won't. Sadly, of course, the church has and is doing bad things in Jesus' name. Not living it. Part of the problem is it's how we have beliefs in our head, but they're not transforming our hearts and our lives and sometimes we've actually got a misconception of Jesus that we're not really following I'm sure some of you are thinking well I'm a Christian am I changed am I transformed sometimes we feel frustrated I think it's sometimes because we've forgotten actually the transformation that has happened and we can't see it ourselves often It is because so often I and and you we're, we're living not in the Jesus story, we're living in the story of the world. And that's and but what I really believe is that if we keep seeking to follow in the way of Jesus and his reality. We can be changed for good and one way to help us to live in this reality is bible meditation i spoke about psalm 34 and and i tried to unpack it a little bit that's because i've been thinking about it and this lectio course that derek mentioned is very much about bible meditation it's about getting bible knowledge from our heads to our hearts our passions and our lives So I really would want to encourage you to engage with that kind of material. I think it will help us significantly. So as I end, Jesus transforms our lives through his true story, through meeting our real needs of love, purpose, and hope. and And that can happen genuinely as we are living in his story. Now, you know, we've been on this series, haven't we, about recapturing wonder, wonder of Jesus. And we've looked at a number of different ways. And I, I don't want to make, I'm not making a party political statement. I'm not making a political about all politicians. But it seems that we, I want to just contrast briefly some of our politicians and influence today with Jesus. Jesus comes not just with words but integrity action love healing as you read his story in the gospels completely different yeah Jesus doesn't just come with words of sympathy Jesus comes with an incredible sense of uh, empathy to those that are suffering because Jesus suffered on a cross, because he knows something of our, our pain and struggles. Jesus can come alongside us and truly touch our lives in a way that nobody else can do. Jesus doesn't just come with words about how to do life. Jesus came to transform the very fabric of our hearts and minds and lives, to transform Scott Harrison, to transform Steve Tucker, to transform Steve Allen. Jesus doesn't just come with nice words, that's your truth, you do your truth, I do my truth. Jesus comes with the true reality of the way things really, really are. And Jesus doesn't just come with words that say, oh, I think things might get better. Jesus comes with his victory of the resurrection, that one day he's coming and he's going to put the world to right. Jesus. Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. So we're just going to pray a
2: moment and then we'll respond in worship.